0: Well, welcome back to the bible in context here i am with uh, caleb lewis again i'm nate young uh, pastor at mercy hill and we are excited today to continue to walk through genesis with you uh caleb tell us where we've been and where we're at today
1: hey guys yeah last time we talked about the image of God. What does it mean for us to be God's images? Ultimately, we are His royal representatives. Before that, we've looked at how God came to the the waters and the ruined land and the darkness, and He separated those things, restrained those things to make good, to make the land, to make a place that is habitable for His images, and ultimately how He, at the climax of creation, created us humans to be His representation. So, now we are on day seven, where God takes a nap. <laughs> Wait a second. When does God get tired? <laughs> well, I mean, it says rest, though, right? That's, that's what it means, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> I think a lot of people probably believe that. But, um, yeah, the, the, this word rest has a little bit different meaning than taking a nap.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, I think, was taught growing up that this was more of God. Uh, he got done with a big a big project so now he's just kicking back to take a look at it and relax and you know, which that's a little better, but I think we can do we can do a little better than that.
0: Yeah, so he didn't get tired after creation. He didn't need to like sit down and get a drink and just enjoy what he had done or, or marvel at it. There there's something more going on here, isn't there?
1: Yeah. So this term to rest, especially after after creation In the ancient Near East, again, that's where we're going to go. The ancient Near East, this is a pretty rich and well-worn path. After a deity gets done creating the world or building a temple or conquering an enemy, he rests. He sits down on his throne and begins to take up the rulership of the space that he has just conquered or created. And that is going to be the meaning of rest here as well. Yahweh is stopping from his work. And he is taking up rulership in the world that he has just made.
0: So, the picture we ought to get on the seventh day of creation is not God hanging out in a hammock, but God <laughs> sitting on a
1: throne, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. He's taking his seat on the throne. Yeah.
0: And that, that's significant. And what do we see after the resurrection? What happens with Jesus? He ascends to do what? To, mm. to uh, sit down on the, throne high, to to the right, hand right of hand the father. Of the, father that he had to sit on his throne
1: taking the kingship and now he is resting in his rulership next to the father Yep, absolutely And I want to show you some examples of where this occurs elsewhere in the Old Testament but I want to point out first that this is actually not the word most often used for the word rest this is actually the word Shavat which means to stop this is where we get our term Sabbath from So in other places we'll see for the word rest, the word manucha instead of Shavat. And there may be a couple reasons that Shavat is used here. The word Shavat is in this same idea, the same vein as resting, even though it literally means just to stop. And there's a couple ways we know that. One is because again, um, this is what happens after a lot of ancient Near Eastern creation stories or temple-building stories or conquering stories. And where we actually see this word, menuhah, show up is, for example, Isaiah 66, verse 1. And so I want to show you here because it's it's the same idea going on. It says, Thus says Yahweh, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool for my feet. Where is the house that you would build for me, and where is this resting place for me? So here... We see, again, Yahweh referring to his house, which could also mean temple. And that is the place where he is going to rest in his temple, the place where he rules from. Mm -hmm. And it's also linked directly with, I mean, the first part of that verse, it says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. So this resting place is linked from the beginning with the place from where Yahweh rules, not where he goes to lounge and to take a nap. And the same thing is uh, in Isaiah, or sorry, not Isaiah, Psalm 132, verse 13 and 14, it says, for Yahweh has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. Now remember, Zion is the place from where Yahweh's king rules. That's where his temple is. That's where he rules from in the Old Testament. And he says in the next verse, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. I have desired it. So. Again, both of these places, we see the word resting show up, the same idea that's in the in Genesis 1 and the seventh day of creation. I said Genesis 1. This is Genesis 2 now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we're in Genesis 2. That's right. Which, which by the way, Next. we haven't really... Do we want to back up a little bit and talk about... We'll talk about the connection between chapter 1 and chapter 2, but I do think it's significant that the chapter break was put between day 6 and day 7. And... Uh, yeah. I think it is interesting. Um, obviously, those chapter breaks were not there originally. And my theory, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but perhaps that chapter chapter break was put there because the seventh day talks about it being holy. It, it, it's separate. And, and so to put that chapter break in there was kind of communicating, okay, there's something special about the seventh day. I don't know. What do you think? Mm.
1: That was a lot more charitable than what I had to think about where's that where just, chapter he,
0: break he from. messed up
1: <laughs> yeah I was thinking like man you guys on the first page you botched the job and <laughs> broke up the first the first seven days of creation which is very no, possible I mean, th- too I don't know That's yeah <laughs> I, I don't know they, maybe what you're saying is exactly right that would make a lot of sense um, I'm, I mean I'm glad the chapter breaks are there they're helpful for us to quickly identify where we're at but we need to get used to not reading strictly according to our chapter breaks
0: well and if you look at the Um, the literary design of it, you have at the verse, verse three of chapter two. So God blessed the seventh day and and made it holy because on it rested from all the work that he had, had done in creation. Oh, verse one. Yeah. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And so that creates this inclusio between verse one, chapter one, and verse two, chapter one. And so it seems that Maybe if there was going to be a break, you'd put it almost after that, verse 1. But there's the word and at the very beginning of verse 2. And so, yeah, what, I don't know what
1: I would have done. We'll get into this, actually, pretty shortly. But the best place would have been at chapter 2, verse 4. And that's, there's actually literary structures that would suggest that's the best place for it. Yeah, if it you had to break to,
0: it. Yeah, these are the generations. That would make the most sense. Yeah.
1: So, it's not my fault that I said Genesis 1. That's, <laughs> but hey, it, it only took us In like six or seven weeks. In your head 1. <laughs> exactly. But we finally made it out of the first chapter. That's right. It only we did. took us, you know, a month and a half.
0: Yeah, that's all. So but, do we want to talk about the significance of
1: seven here or any of the numbers? Well, actually, let, let me say one more thing that, the number seven reminds me of and then we'll maybe talk about the sabbath a little bit and okay. so the reason that the author may have chosen to use the word shabbat here instead of the word that's the word for rest used elsewhere might be because it's on the seventh day he shabbated on the Sheva'i day there's some some wordplay going on here so that might have been again the reason the, the biblical author if if you've ever done any study on biblical wordplay it happens constantly. They like and to be so, poetic. Yeah, very, very much. It's if you actually know Hebrew, it's very fun to read, to like see all these little connections and things. They're kind of just there as part of the structure. It's not going to change the meaning of the text necessarily, but it's really cool to get to see them and let them help you structure the text a little bit.
0: Yeah, cuz don't we get that so. same kind of wordplay
1: with Adam and earth or land? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the word for the ground, so earth we've talked about is eretz. The ground is Adamah, so he made Adam from the Adamah.
0: Yeah, so yeah, that, that kind of wordplay is all over the place.
1: Yeah, and Adam literally means human, but the wordplay they're trying to show there is like he's made from the earth. Yeah. So there are some wordplays there between the word seven and complete. There's also some wordplays that happen between uh, seven and oath, because oath is Shavah. But really the meaning of the word seven, or the, the number seven, I don't think we should be trying to find some strict definition by which we can decode the text when we see the number seven in it or assign to it a specific um, definitive value or meaning that changes how we read a text when it appears. I think it's more of a thematic Presence in the text, or a, a thematic tool in the text. So you see the number seven, as well as some other numbers. But again, you see seven a lot throughout the ancient Near East in divination texts, in other um, narratives and mythologies, and a lot of times it has to do with deities. I think it's it's portraying this divine number when it shows up a lot in the Bible it's showing you that this is important whenever you start seeing multiples of seven happen in a text it's saying this chunk of text has some special significance and this isn't a great equation but I think you could think of it in the same way that we think of in a movie where lights come on and this like angelic choir starts to sing Okay. that that's a trope that happens all over the place. And it kind of communicates this, this is a, a heightened divine kind of experience or place or whatever it be. I think the number seven functions similarly. It's not there to tell us something specific. It's there to grab our, attention. A, a, grab our attention. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Good deal. So where
0: all do you see sevens in even the first chapter of Genesis?
1: Yeah. So Gordon Wyndham's word, biblical commentary actually shows quite a bit of this in the first few chapters. We see in multiples of seven the word God is mentioned 35 times, earth is mentioned 21 times, um, heaven and firmament are mentioned 21 times, and then also it was so, and God says, God said it was good occur seven times, and it was so seven times, and this just keeps going on. There's a lot of multiples of seven going on, and things that were said in Genesis 1. Yeah, and surely and this can't you'll be see. an
0: accident. I mean, the, there's obviously some intention behind these multiples of seven uh, that are all over the place in the text.
1: Yeah, yeah, seven occurs all over the place. Yeah,
0: you see, you see the number seven a lot, you see the number 10 a lot, uh, you see the number three uh, periodically, yeah. it seems like, and then the number 40 comes up quite a bit also, and so numbers are significant. I think sometimes we can... Like you were saying, you can you can almost go too far with the numbers and, and look into them a little bit more than uh, what was meant to be, but there is definitely something
1: there. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I wanted to caution against because there's entire studies of um, biblical numerology that really go astray because I don't know what you think when you hear numerology. Um, some people may be thinking like you know you're going to sit down and find all the numbers in the Bible and then you know, find out when the Antichrist is coming or who it is or something like that and start decoding. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen books yeah.
0: on decoding scripture through counting the number of letters and words on uh, in certain books and, and trying to decipher what the future is going to be based on. And, and a lot of it seems very much like reading a horoscope or...
1: I mean, it's it, it gets yeah. almost occultish. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it really does. And there's also bible codes where people will randomly select parts of the text and start to apply numbers or try to string different words together in certain ways and come up with all these predictions and things and it's it's really just a bunch of nonsense Um, So, point of all that being when you start seeing numbers show up in the text you start seeing repetitions that have some kind of numerological value it's not there to tell you some kind of secret meaning behind the text it's there to tell you, hey, this is part of the literary structure. If you start seeing these groupings, it's just part of how the text is built so you know um, where a section ends and begins or it places emphasis on a certain section. Really, it functions more like a highlighter than a decoder ring.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that.
1: Yeah, there's actually an Israeli scholar named Israel Noel who's written some really good articles on how the biblical authors will use numbers or repeat words a certain number of times in order to structure certain poems or segments of text. It actually becomes really significant for textual criticism in some places. We're actually gonna use one of his articles when we get to Genesis 49 to show how the text is broken up and how there's a text critical issue that the number pattern illuminates for us. But we'll talk about that when we get there. So we've
0: we've talked about the significance of the number seven and just numbers in general throughout the Bible. Let's talk a little bit more about the this idea of Sabbath because it's a very significant Theme uh, throughout Scripture, we see it as uh, one of the Ten Commandments, but it's introduced even before the Ten Commandments are are introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a really big deal, and so uh, what what's so significant about the Sabbath?
1: Yeah, so again, it's the day of Shabbat, the day of stopping. So here, the the first instance of this, the paradigm from which we get the Sabbath, is Yahweh stopping from his work and taking up rulership and and resting. So there's this idea of whenever we Sabbath, or whenever Israel is commanded to Sabbath, they are to stop their striving and their work and to take up rulership over, over the good that they've worked in the week. And just us being human, a lot of that is us sitting down to enjoy it not like Yahweh where he you know we sit down to take a breather and try to enjoy some of the good things we have around but at the same time there's validity to us ruling over the good things that we have and have created because just like Jesus says if our family or our livestock or whatever it may be is hurt on the Sabbath it's not like we have to stop it's that's part of the good thing that we are protecting and ruling and caring for so those things should still be happening
0: so i could twist the Sabbath and on on the Sabbath day I could sit down and and order my I could rule on high and have my kids do all the work, right? That's that's what absolutely. I <laughs> that's
1: that's the perk. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh that's it should be a reminder for us to care for the things that we have. And that's that's a lot of what biblical rulership is about is about caring for what you have. So you know, as humans, when we stop, we stop from our our work. Remember that Yahweh, Jesus is the one who cares and provides for us. And we also are reminded that as we are trying to further his purpose of turning bad things into good, to stop and rule them well, to care for them well. Yeah. And so in the
0: New Testament, when Jesus is, I guess, critiqued for breaking the Sabbath, it's often because he's, He's caring for somebody, right? He's healing somebody mm, yeah. or allowing his disciples to eat. or I mean, there's uh, examples there where he understood the heart of the Sabbath where the religious leaders had turned it in and twisted it into this thing that it was never meant to be.
1: Yeah, instead it should be um, thinking more of, you know, I was, I've spent the past six days, I mean five in, all, in our culture, but six days working so that we can have food on the table and a roof over our head and that things you know, for your family. And then on that seventh day, you stop and say, okay, let me just actually spend time with my family. And hey, how are you guys doing? Shift the focus of your work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good. It's good. The, uh, the idea of Sabbath, I think it's, there, there's some who are like very, very strict about it and almost legalistic about it and, and turn it into Kind of like the Pharisees, where you have to do it a certain way in a certain time, and it becomes more of a burden than than a, a blessing. Mm-hmm. But then there's others who almost dismiss it completely, and uh, feel as if, well, uh, well, because Jesus is our Sabbath, then we don't need to do anything. And I don't, I don't see that that's helpful either. There, there's kind of a gotta find a middle ground in there, don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my personal take, we'd have, we'd have to loop Paul into this and, you know, have a long, long discussion. But ultimately, I think, yeah, it's not something that we are commanded to do as Christians, um, especially as, as Gentile Christians. We're not supposed to take on that part of Torah. But it is a helpful reminder and something that at least we should be aware of as a theme in the Bible and how it works. I don't think, yeah, we're commanded to observe Torah but it is something very significant that has a lot of meaning that we should should be aware of because it's you know it's a pointer just like all of the Old Testament rituals and festivals they're pointers to what we will be doing with Christ in the end.
0: Uh so there and I think that's the, the culmination of this seventh day rest right which we haven't really talked about yeah. that this idea of the seventh day. Uh, there's no beginning and there's no end to the seventh day in creation. Right, we didn't even say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is pretty significant, significant right? That um, the the seventh day is meant to be an everlasting day, and it's yeah. a day that we'll enjoy for eternity um, yeah, with, at, with Christ. at
1: the end of every single day it says, and there was evening and there was morning on this day. The seventh day, you don't see that at all. So yeah, the idea is it just goes on there, Forever until we, unlike the um, you think of the phrase from uh, the Israelite wanderings where Yahweh says this wicked generation they will never enter my rest. Well, we at whenever Christ comes back will enter His rest. We will sit on the throne with Him, just like He says in Revelation and rule, take up rulership with Him.
0: Ah, so, it's amazing stuff to to look forward to, and uh, gives us great hope.
1: Yeah, oh. in which I think that kind of turns the. Turns the connotations of "you will never enter my rest" a little bit. You know, it's not so much God saying, "I don't want you guys to have a break and to get to sit down and relax with me." I don't want you guys ruling stuff. You guys are going to screw it up. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm not. We don't want these people entering Yahweh's rest. It's it's authority over creation and the ability to to rule on Yahweh's behalf.
0: Yeah, that's a really good good point. That's a really good point.
1: Well, good stuff, man. Uh, Anything else? before we uh break from here i i don't think so i think that's a good spot for us to leave off and we can always come back later and talk about it more all right sounds good well i've enjoyed it and uh we'll see everybody next time I'm here